All right, mercy, grace to you. What a joy it is for me to uh, open the word with you. And uh, yeah, we're in a study in the book of Ephesians. So we're going through the whole letter this summer. And last week we ended with chapter two and we went through a series called We've Moved. It's all about how we have a new identity, a new address in Christ. That's where we are, in Christ. We talked about how we are now included in the people of God. Talked about how we are now alive by His grace, that in Christ we are alive. We talked about how we have glory, like God calls us to glory. And today we're in chapter 3, which is more like a transition sermon, but it's still so powerful. And I've been already marked by this. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. And it goes like this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Would you pray with me? Lord. May I lift your name high today. Lord, this passage lays for out, out for us your incredible plan for us. Lord, we thank you for making all of the provisions that you have made for us. And we thank you for everything, I pray. Amen. Um, uh, today's sermon is called The Gospel and Its Impact. The, imp- God's, the Gospel's Impact on our life. Hey, I wanted to go over just a couple of bits and pieces of knowledge, three kinds of knowledge, at least that I come up with, and I just wanted to go over them, and then I want to have a question. Now, when we know something, it can do something for us, or it could also do nothing for us, right? You know something, you believe something, it can do something, it can do nothing. So I want to do this sort of um, sentence with you. Knowing blank whatever that may be, and knowing, I mean trusting, I mean believing, knowing something changes nothing. In my, at my, in my house, um, we have this book, it's this fat, it's called a book of useless information. Uh, brilliant facts. I don't know if you know, but apparently the light travels from the sun to earth. It takes eight minutes for the light to reach us. So if the sun went black, we would only know in eight minutes. I love that bit of information. And guess what? 
It absolutely does nothing. It changes you zero. There's nowhere to apply that unless maybe if you're going on a date or somewhere, you could just kind of bring it up, impress somebody. Now, the second bit of knowing, let's just say it's knowing something um, may or may not lead to change. Uh, insert there health and, with, uh, health and fitness advice. Insert their finances, like retirement. I grew up on Dave Ramsey. Our church victimized all of us with Dave Ramsey. And he talks a lot about financial retirement and so forth. You may know this, but you could still burn through all of your income, never set aside a single penny, just move on with your life. Uh, sugar, every one of us here knows sugar is bad. But today's Cotton Candy Day. And you, I don't know about you, but like, I know it's for children, but some of you are like, in Christ, there's neither Gentile nor Jew, adult or child. I'm going to have one. And you could be eating that cotton candy, and I could say, or somebody can ask you, so you think sugar is good for you? But no, it's horrible for you. And it could or could not lead to change. And there's a third category. Knowing something leads to a change or changes everything. In particular, maybe like if you're going through an illness and you find out there's a treatment. Now, here's what happens. You will get that treatment. You believe 50% of that treatment works for your illness. You'll probably go for it and go undergo all that it requires. When something's so, so good and something that we need so, so much, oh, it'll change us. Now, I have a question for you. Which of these categories would the word gospel go into? Knowing the gospel, believing, sincerely trusting the gospel, the main message of the Bible changes nothing? I mean, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, think about this. Like, if you believe that Jesus is king, I mean, you, you can't just move on with your life. If you believe that Jesus is king, ruler of the universe, all of a sudden, you have to get off your throne. There can only be one king of your life. Is it Jesus or is it you? Who calls the shots? You can't just say, I believe Jesus is king and do nothing about it. So it's definitely not the first one. You see, Christianity, the main beliefs of Christianity are confrontational. Our beliefs carry a punch. Darkness does not like the light, hates the light. Believing in the gospel, believing in the message of, the, of Jesus changes everything about your life. What about the second one? Maybe knowing the gospel may or may not lead to change. Well, here, James, half-brother of Jesus, he was uh, leading the first church in Jerusalem, said, the faith without works is dead. So it leaves us with the third one. And this is the third one that I want to talk to you about. The gospel of Jesus, the message of the Bible, is so radically, wildly good that it leaves nothing unchanged in our lives. Behold, it, can, it cannot leave anything unchanged in our lives. It must do something. It must lead us somewhere. It must I, I, we're going to read about this. So here's the kind of the main message of what we're going to talk about. Paul, right now, 
Starts in verse 1. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's that dash. Now, that dash never existed in the original manuscript. He picks up on that dash in verse 14. He gets sidetracked for 13 verses. Now, of course, that's sidetracked for us. The Holy Spirit inspired this text. It's, every word is meant to be here. And he stops for 13 verses. Almost like summarizing everything he's talked about. And he says, the gospel, the mystery of God is so good. And here is, it, is its impact on my life. So I'm going to talk to you about how good this gospel is and what it will lead our lives to change in. So let's start off with verses uh, 2 through 6. What is this good news that changes everything, that impacts Paul so well, so much? Well, he says this in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. We'll come back to that. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So Paul is saying, this word mystery to us, we use the word mystery as a secret, as something hidden, something's confusing. Mystery here is the plan of God that was once hidden, now revealed, and guess how God reveals that plan to Paul. And he says that I received understanding of this mystery the plan of God, the plan of God for the universe, God's blueprint, through revelation. Revelation means God supernaturally revealed this to Paul. And then he says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations, as it, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul is saying, look, you guys, God kept it hidden, and in the Old Testament, we get glimpses of this plan of God. Uh, in Romans 15, you could read about how Gentiles will be part of the people of God, but we never really understand how that's going to happen. And then Paul tells us what this mystery is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's the plan. God was making a new humanity, a new people for himself, both of Gentiles and Jews through Jesus. Notice this, that both Gentiles and Jews, excuse me, Gentiles are fellow heirs. That means the inheritance that, was once, that once belonged to the people of God Jewish people, Jewish nation, now belongs to the people of faith in Christ. Fellow heirs, partakers of the same body. We are now the body of Christ. And get this, there is such diversity. Every nation, every race, every tongue, every ethnicity, everybody's included on account of faith through Jesus same body, one body. And last, he says, partakers of the promise. Now, this promise that we've been talking about is the riches of Christ. Remember how we talked about how in Christ we are chosen, adopted, redeemed, 
sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you just read chapters 1 and 2, and it reveals all of the riches. And here Paul is saying, this is amazing. God has made it available for all people. All people. Now here's what I think you might be thinking, if I'm right, because I was thinking this. Big deal. So what? Of course. How could God not do this? Like, of course, you, you want to tell me that God loves me so much. He dies for me. And through faith in him, I get to be partakers of this promise. I get to be of the same body. I get to be co-heirs with the people of God. Of course. Duh. I wouldn't have expected any other way. Is, is, is that kind of where you're at? Church, uh, if you're not amazed by this, can I just gently probe? It might be because we feel entitled to God's love. We, we kind of assume that God owes us his love. Like, how could he not? It's kind of the culture we live in. I love worship songs. Let me get going on, on the record. Love our worship songs. Love the song. We say, play them in our car. We play them to our kids. I love to turn it on and worship God. It's an aid for you to know how to, pr to praise God with. It gets your heart focused. But not all worship songs get on the hit it right. Um, and that's not a, is that a controversial thing to say? I don't think so. Like, only the Bible is infallible without error. If a worship song has something wrong, well, well we are people and infallible. And I was listening to this one song, and I'm like, oh, Oh, that, that's, that's, that might be the worst song I've heard. Uh, I, I'll be gentle here. I'm not picking on anybody. Uh, we do need a spirit discernment. And let me just read you what it says. You made me, and you like what you made. That's good. Uh, you made me. You don't make mistakes. I can be real with you. You take me just as I am. You choose me all over again. How do you know that? I am the one you love. I am the one you love. I don't have to prove anything. I am the one you love. I know you're proud of me. Even though I don't deserve it, sometimes. Sometimes I do, but sometimes. No, I'm not a perfect child, but I still make my father smile, so I know you're, you're proud of me. Here's... What I get from this song, or, and I, by the way, I'm, I love worship songs. God, you love us? Why wouldn't you? God, how, how dare you not love us? In other words, the love of God is not amazing. It comes with the territory of God being God. God is God. God loves us. God must love me. God, love is automatic. In fact, you and I are carriers of the guarantee that God will love us. We carry in ourselves the demand that God would love us. Of course God loves us. How could God not? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses. You were children of wrath. You were sons of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy. God's love is not just unconditional. That means he loves us without conditions. God's love is contra-conditional. 
He loves us despite all the conditions that we have that war against his love. Church, this is a big deal. God doesn't owe us, any of us love. In fact, we deserve judgment, and yet, guess what? God loves you. God pours out his love lavishly on the people of God. Whoever would come and believe in him, God has given you his son. That's how much he loves you. So I just want you to see that the reason God loves us is not because we're lovable. The reason God loves us, oh man, we've got to be so grateful. <laughs> we've got to be so excited. is because of his goodness, his purposes for us. And boy, is God absolutely amazing. So that's what God does. How incredible is it that you and I get to be children of the promise? How incredible is it that we have every promise in God? Why? He loved us enough to send his son to die for us, that through faith in him, we would be partakers. God chose to love us. That's beautiful because of his goodness. So this is the plan. It's that good. It's that incredible. And then Paul, um, in verse 10, continues on, and we're going to jump around because he adds something to this plan, and here's why God did this. Here's why God wanted to combine all peoples, all nations, to become his one body. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom, of God might be known, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Manifold wisdom, many folds, many aspects of God's wisdom. Why did God do this? To show it off to the rulers and authorities. What is that? Angelic beings. In other words, this is going to be wild. Get this. The church. With every race, every nation, every ethnicity, breaking down all of those divides, those divisions that we war over, brought together in one body, becomes the display of God's incredible, immeasurable wisdom to the angelic beings. All kind, probably good and bad. We don't know like, church, you know, we gather to worship God, but then the church becomes the worship of God. The stars declare the majesty of God. The redeemed people declare the wisdom and the love of God. Got that? Stars, you look at them, God's powerful, God's incredible, God's infinite. You look at the church, you look at us, you look at every church in this area, you look at the church global that honors Christ as Lord and Savior, and that church shows off God's wisdom and God's love. That's incredible. I, I think it's, I, I used this example once already, but like, can you imagine God wanted to show off his wisdom? So he chose people, us, image bearers. And God has a lot to show off, <laughs> all right? He has a lot to show. This wisdom has many folds. It is untraceable. You cannot just walk over it and get to the bottom of it. It's that incredible. And here in verse 12, 11, it also tells us something really important. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What this means is God made this plan way back and in eternity. And because it's a plan he made in eternity to do this, bring together a people of Jew and Gentile through Christ as his body. He did this in eternity. Because he did this in eternity, he made this purpose. It's good as done. Nothing can stand in the way. Now, why would this be important? Paul's in jail. Your number one leader who started this movement and took this movement out of the boundaries of Jerusalem to the outer known ends of the earth is now in jail. And Paul lets us a hint here. Oh, this plan, not going to stop. These chains won't stop this plan, which is powerful for us to know that God's purpose will come true and to the end. Nothing can shake this. Nothing can mess with this. This is good as done. God will do this. You know why this is important? Because it doesn't matter who's in office, your guy or not your guy. doesn't matter what events are happening in the world. Doesn't matter how many people mock Christianity, this purpose is good as done. Which also is important to know that God uses us to advance this purpose. But I want you to know something. Never mistaken God using us for God relying on us. You know, like think of this God, God has a plan. I'm gonna do this through Jesus. And then God used Mary to bring Jesus into the world. God, Judas, through Judas' betrayal, God used his betrayal to bring Jesus to the cross. But God at no one time ever relied on our cooperation. Like that the cross of Jesus was up in the air. And if Mary didn't want to do the, go through with this, if, 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 if Judas didn't want to go through with this and actually change his mind and didn't want to betray Jesus, somehow that the cross of Jesus wouldn't have happened. Oh, no. God uses vessels. God uses events to achieve this purpose. But at no one time does he rely on us to the extent that it could, something can thwart this plan. This is important to know. God using you, but you don't have to have that burden of God relying on you. Like, I love pastoring this church. These eight night months have been my favorite nine months of my life, plus the wedding and marriage. I just realized you, can't, you have to qualify everything. But I, I know one thing. God is using me, but God loves this church. He loves this body. And he's, relying, he's not relying on me. This church, this body will be taken care of one way or another. It has a great shepherd. I'm simply an under-shepherd. You will be fed. You will be encouraged. You will be protected. You will be provided for. Because Jesus, he uses us. He doesn't rely on us. And that's important because if, if we think we're so big and God really relies on us to achieve his purposes, and, and that sounds good and all that, but listen, at the end of the day, that leads either to pride or to anxiety. Like, what if I'm going to mess this up? But if you just simply believe God uses you and he achieves his purposes always, it doesn't matter what, 
the response for us is one of humility and confidence. I can be confident in shepherding this church. God will achieve his purposes. He will bring many more who are not of his fold yet. Amen? So, that's the plan of God. That's the plan of God. To bring together Gentile, to become partakers of the promise, which is salvation, forgiveness, adoption. He does so through faith in Christ. He made this plan way back in etern- as an eternal purpose. That means it stands, cannot be thwarted. It's a beautiful thing. It's a privilege. And here's what happens. When Paul lays out this mystery, it leads to four things. I want to talk to you about four things that the goodness of the gospel leads to in our lives. Four changes it makes. Number one, when you get, this is how it changes you, okay? You, you wrap your hands around this in some way. You sincerely believe in the gospel message of God's love to unite all peoples to himself. It changes you in this way. Number one, it leads you to the urgency to tell others about God. We read this in um, verse two. You have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I want you to know something. Revelation equals responsibility. Paul, God reveals to Paul this plan, this goodness of God. That's verse 2. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And verse 7, we get, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Revelation equals responsibility. To know this makes us responsible to tell others about it. You get that? To know this plan of God should lead us to tell others with great amount of urgency. All of us are evangelists. You know how I learned I was a really good evangelist? Like, I'm a really good evangelist. When I heard myself telling other people about a coconut cake, I went once to a restaurant. I tasted what I felt like was pure heaven, this coconut cake. Then I, when I moved on with my life, I noticed I told everybody about this coconut cake. You ever get so excited, you want to tell people about what it is you're excited about? I got so excited about um, my most productive tool I use, monday.com. Guess what I did? I told everybody. If you've been hung around with me at least three times, you've heard of monday.com. I talk about it all the time. You know what I realized? We're all evangelists, just the wrong kind of evangelists. We're all excited about something. Some of you, in the last two years, have told 15 people about how they should buy cryptocurrency, but you never spoke about Jesus. Some of you have told people about these amazing restaurants that you've been to. You've never told about Jesus. Some of you have gone into debates about COVID, how it's true, how it's real, how you need to be vaccinated, how you need the mask. Some of you got, don't, don't get nervous, some of you got into debates with people about how COVID is a sham and it's an experiment in social control. But none of us, or did we, 
bring this gospel to the world. See, we, our church is full of evangelists. Are we the right kind? See, Paul's revelation of this plan necessarily leads him, the responsibility of it, to tell others. Our vision of this church mission statement is to see people saved. I don't ever want to move on from that and to see saved people grow. The first part, we have a mission. Here's how you know you have God's grace. You figured it out. You sincerely believe it. It leads you to want to tell others. Amen? The second one, I love this. In verse 8, Paul sees to me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want you to see carefully how Paul views grace as, how Paul sees grace as. He sees it is God's grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now keep in mind that wasn't just like preaching in a stadium, getting applauses and leaving. To preach at that time meant beatings, meant prison, meant famines, meant a loss of reputation because Paul used to, was on a very, very good track to become a very, very influential figure in the Jewish world. And Paul says, check this out, this grace was given to me to preach. Grace to preach. In other words, serving is grace of God. Some of us know one type of grace. We believe that grace of God is to be served. That's true. God loves us. God shows his favor of us. That others come alongside of us and help us in our life. I pray that this church would be a church where you are served. You are. You're encouraged. You're prayed for. You're checked in on. I, when we had Lucas eight weeks ago, um, I want to thank you, church. You helped us so much in that transition. Somebody brought us a meal, like, every day. Uh, we would open the door, there would be a meal. Somebody just brought it for us. One day, we had a meal Somebody brought us for the morning, the lunch, and the dinner. We're thinking we're going to have another baby. <laughs> this is incredible. It is the grace of God to be served. But I want to tell you, it's the lesser grace. Do you know what the greater grace is? To have the desire, the opportunity, the ability and the willingness to follow through serving someone in the church. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you imagine? Like, how many of us look at serving that way? Now, come on. I have a hard time seeing serving this way. Oh, come on, I gotta do this. I gotta help this person. I gotta see this. And then this Verse reminds me, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. God's so good to you that to serve his body, to encourage, to meet, to pray with someone is grace. It's God's gift to me. I thought it's God's gift to somebody else. No, it's God's gift to you. 
I don't know how as Christians, but I, I don't think we should ever be grumpy servants. Bitter servants. Oh man, can you imagine the joy for a Jesus who died and gave his life for you? You cannot serve him. He's seated at the right hand of God in glory. There's nothing he needs. But he does identify with his body. And that to serve your brother, serve your sister, is to have the honor of serving Jesus your Lord. I want to say that it's grace. I, I know we have a lot of volunteers in our church. I just want to use this opportunity to inspire you. Everything you're doing, teaching, singing, things you'll be doing, grace. It's an honor. It's an honor. Can, be the, can I be our perspective? We'll get there, guys. And here's the third thing that grace leads Paul to say. Verse 8 also says this beautiful line. If we can go back to the third thing, it's growing in humility. Do you know what this gospel does to you? It grows you in your humility. Growth in humility. And verse 8 says this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, think about how Paul sees himself the least of all the saints. And I think there was somewhere where he said God's people. I want you to see something. What we see with Paul, if we look at his life over a timeline, we see his humility grow. Let me show you this. In AD, if we go to the AD slide, AD 53, he writes the book of Corinthians. And check out what he says. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's a lot of humility, least of the apostles. But there was only a dozen apostles. It's like Paul saying, you know what? I am the least, the last of 12 richest people on the planet. It's like, okay, you're very humble, Paul. I'm such a poor billionaire. You're the least of the apostles. There's just a dozen of them. Now, that's still humility. Now, Paul's going to write Ephesians, and he says this, that I am the least of the saints. That's all of God's people. That's like saying... If you live in a rich, rich country, maybe some European, Nordic country, and you're, you're saying like, you know what, I'm of this country, but I'm on the very, very bottom tier of wealth. That's still saying like you're richer than everybody else. That's what Paul's saying. Now, check this out. The, one of the last letters Paul writes is Timothy. And I want you to see what he says next. And he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He, least of saints, uh, apostles, least of saints, least of all the sinners. You know what you get with Paul? Ever-growing humility. What's interesting is also his influence was growing. So can you imagine? Influence is growing and Humility is growing. That's usually not, not how it works. You get a pay raise. Humility a little lower. 
Get a little more independence, less humility, a little more jerk. Paul's humility rises with his influence. Why? Paul saw the beauty of God's love and himself as extremely undeserving. When we just see ourselves as undeserving but don't see God's love, we're in despair. When we see God's love for us but we don't see ourselves as undeserving, we are uh, delusional, arrogant, proud. But when you see the wildness of God's love for you, and you see yourself as unworthy, which is, by the way, who you are, that results in humility. Paul could never get over this. He persecuted the church. He persecuted Jesus in that sense. He could never figure it out how God was so kind to him to save him and commission him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I want to say that God's beautiful work is the same in your life. He loves you just the way, the same way. You were also this undeserving, and God showed and poured out his radical love on you. Just never forget that you were undeserving, and God loved you. And the last one, Paul ends this with verse 13, not to lose heart. Paul lays out this mystery, and he ends with, don't lose heart, in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul is in jail, and people are discouraged. Believers in Asia Minor, in Greece, are discouraged. And how does Paul try to lift them up? How does Paul find the cheerfulness in his own heart? This grace, this grace, this grace that loves you so much, this God who loves you so much. Don't lose heart. I don't know what you're going through today, but don't lose heart. The gospel is God saying, I'm for you. Don't lose heart. Some of you are praying maybe for a loved one to come to know Jesus. And today this season, you're wondering if you should keep on praying because it's not working. Don't lose heart. Some of you are in seasons of temptation and you're struggling with self-denial, crucifying your passions and desires and you're like giving up. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Some of you are mocked because you're of your faith in school, in universities, at workplaces, don't lose heart. Some of you are struggling to forgive. It's a battle for you. You know how you find the strength to keep on going? Not by looking inside. Probably not even watching a TED Talk. You look to the grace of God. To this plan, this mystery that God has so beautifully opened to Paul and he took this gospel to the Gentiles and today you sit here believing in Jesus. That's how you find strength to keep on going. The gospel makes everything worth it. Every struggle. A lot of you are in a 
gospel struggle right now in your life, keep on going. The gospel is worth it. The gospel is a reminder of God's love for you. The gospel is a reminder that God in the end wins. Gospel is a reminder that Jesus is coming for his church. Some of you are distraught, broken, sad, frustrated, angry. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. This mystery is God's plan, eternal purpose that includes you in it. Amen? So we see how Paul was marked by the gospel. He was marked by the grace of God. It led him to tell others. It led him to see serving as grace. It led him to grow in humility. It led him to keep on keeping on. How about you? Where are you today? Have you gotten a sense of this beautiful gospel, this amazing plan of God for your life, for his church, that includes you? We're going to pray today, and we're going to pray that God would give you clarity. God would give you greater appreciation. God would give you greater, greater view, more gratitude, more praise for what he's done for you. Because knowing the gospel changes everything about our lives. Changes everything about our lives. And I'm also going to pray with one more group of people. Some of you are like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a stranger to this promise. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Now you be blessed to know that there's also verse 12 for you. And verse 12 says simply this, in whom, Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That's saying the way to God, the way into these promises, the way to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior is through faith. So do you believe in Jesus? Have you put all of your chips out and put all your whole trust in him? I want to say that is the most important thing you could ever do. Get right with God through faith in Christ. After all, <laughs> that's what he's doing. That's his big plan for your life, to have you included in the promise. So I'm going to pray with you right now. Would you bow your heads?